Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Our guest today is Dr. Janice Amatuzio, and our topic is helping families through loss. Dr. Janice Amatuzio is a forensic pathologist and author of Beyond Knowing. She has the extraordinary privilege of caring for families and their loved ones when death comes suddenly. Welcome to the show, Janice. Thank you so much for having me, Heidi. It's a real pleasure. It's really great to have you on, Janice. And, oh, I wanted to mention your other book, Forever Hours. I, I can't wait to get that one. I, I just I've read oh. Beyond Knowing, and uh, you're a, a fabulous writer. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. It, Go ahead. It's really, uh, you know, it hit me on the edge of my chair reading it and hearing about, um, now t- tell the audience what you do. Well, I'm a forensic pathologist. I'm a medical examiner, uh, just like on CSI. But um, I'm a physician, and you know, television's done a wonderful thing to help bring to our consciousness and our awareness what really goes on. But I'm the, I'm the doctor, and what I started doing, oh, I can't even tell you how many years ago, I did one thing differently on the non-criminal cases, not the homicides, but on everything else. When I had finished an autopsy as part of our death investigation, I would give family members a call and just let them know what I had found. It was such a hard thing to do. Sometimes their grief just blew me away, and I almost quit. But then something happened. Every now and then, the families would tell me about something that just made the hairs on my arms stand on end about some of the dreams and visions and synchronicities that had occurred in and around the death of their loved one. Those stories absolutely put me on the edge of my seat. In fact, they made me realize that that there's a way to reconnect and that we're not just flesh and bone. Let me give you an example. In 1995, I did an autopsy and a death investigation on a young man named Gregory Bear. He had been driving home 19 years old on unfamiliar streets, Unfortunately, it was late. He was not intoxicated. He ran the stop sign and crashed into the side of a semi-tractor trailer truck. He was immediately unconscious. He died shortly thereafter. One of my associates did the autopsy. My investigator was at the scene. But she did something that was really a blessing for me, although I didn't think so at the time. She did not call the family. As it turned out, the mother was Mary Bear, a nurse at the hospital, the head nurse of the coronary care unit. When I finally connected with her a day and a half later, we had, you know, that intense conversation. She asked me what happened. I went through his head injuries, and then she said, Doctor, can I tell you something? And I said, well, of course, Mary. She said, something has happened, and I don't know what to make of it. She said, Greg's babysitter, whose name is Sheila, who I have not spoken to in 15 years, we stopped exchanging Christmas cards seven or eight years ago, and she now lives in California, and this happened in Minnesota, she said she called, left a message. I called her back. and She said she told me that at midnight on Friday night, and she said, and by the way, doctor, what time was my son in the accident? And I said, 2 a.m. You know, there's a two-hour time difference. Mm -hmm. And she said that at midnight on Friday night to Saturday morning, she was awakened by a light in her room, her bedroom, And there, standing by the side of the bed, was Greg. And she thought, 
what, what is this? And he seemed distressed, so she began to comfort him like she did when he was a little boy. She didn't know what to make of it. She said the next day she thought, oh, that was strange. But the next night, um, Saturday night to Sunday morning, she said about 4 in the morning, her room filled with light. She sat up in bed. and Standing at the foot of her bed was Greg. And he said, Sheila, will you tell my mother and my father how much I love them? Will you tell them I am fine? And tell them there's so many people here. I am with Vernie. And with that, Sheila Bear, Mary Bear, said to me, Doctor, what do you think this means? And my first thought was, holy cow, as a, a public official, I better not start doing dream interpretation or I won't have a job for very long. But I quickly said, Mary, it doesn't matter what I think. What do you think this means? And who is Vernie? Mm-hmm. She said, oh, Vernie's my mother. She died two years before Greg was born. I don't know how the babysitter would ever have known, much less remembered that. But she said, in terms of what it means, she said, it hasn't stopped my grief, but it eased my pain. I know my heart will heal now, and I know beyond a doubt that I'll see him again. Wow. You know, that's a powerful story. And one of the things that you, you talk a little bit about in your book, and Beyond Knowing and Get the Feeling, that, and I've been thinking about this, that if people have experiences like this, they have to decide what to do with them, don't they? Yes. Whether they're going to embrace them or what they're going to do with them. Yes. It, they have to make meaning. What I have found is that most times people keep these so close to their heart and that these stories have given them, as you mentioned, hope. Mm-hmm. They, they have been so real. In fact, their, their level of awareness is not at hope, it's at knowing. Oh, that's a wonderful point, and mm-hmm. and they can keep that knowing. I think one of the things that happens, I think one reason people hold it so close to their heart is because when you start telling it, mm-hmm. then people start trying to make sense out of it. Oh, well, and maybe they read her name somewhere in the newspaper, you know, right. or maybe this or that, and they and they ruin kind of the the mystery, the hope mystery, and, yeah. and I think that's why we do hold these. You know, I, yesterday um, I was having um, just a minor procedure done and I was talking to the doctor because I was going to have you on the show. And by the way, he said his wife had read your uh, first book, uh, Forever Hours. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, well, what, what do you think about this, you know, um, uh, people having visitations or thoughts? Or, and he said, well, you know, I've heard it as a doctor. I heard it at the hospital and stuff, but, you know, I don't know. It doesn't doesn't uh, hasn't meant a lot to me, and I thought, oh, that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. You have chosen not to focus on those. Well, for a while, I was sort of regarded as a purple cow by my colleagues. <laughs> I thought I'd gone off the deep end, but do you know the other thing? I have found that when I've given any of these lectures in the hospital, it's the doctors who are there, and they're mm-hmm. listening. It seems to be the paramedics, the nurses, uh, and the other staff who are not so invested in the science, who have said, yes, that comforts me. As a matter of fact, it feels so familiar. How come I didn't? Uh, oh, yeah, talk about that familiar. I liked what you talked about that in the book. Sometimes when people tell you these stories, it feels familiar. Well, so many people have said, this isn't about, you know, learning something. This was just about remembering. And, uh, you know, Sophie Burnham, who wrote the wonderful book, A Book of Angels, so many years ago, at the, the last chapter of her second or third book, she tells about a woman who brought home a brand-new baby, and they had a little boy who was three or four, and he wanted some time alone with the baby, and they were so worried. So the doctor said, well, put a baby monitor in there, and you can listen. What they heard was amazing. They heard the little boy go up to his sister and said, quick, 
tell me about heaven. I'm forgetting. (laughs) (laughs) You know, wisdom from the mouth of babes. Absolutely. I have the sense that, that, you know, as a forensic pathologist, what we do is is I say, who are you? And I say, what happened? And I think we're really beginning with these, these incredible dreams and visions, which usually so many people have had. And if they start talking about them, they'll comfort others because we'll begin to remember who we really are and what really happens. You know, I, I know that in your book it says a bit like you're known as the compassionate coroner. You know, I've really been interested in reading the book and talking to you because I know one of the things that our audience has talked about is how painful, particularly if there's a question of how the person died, waiting, and particularly why does it take so long if it's drug and alcohol related or, you know, just a test. Uh, you know, my son... Um, was killed in an automobile accident and with his cousin in 1983. And um, it, it, I know they, the police and everyone really kind of wanted to believe that there was a drug and alcohol-related issue. Yeah. And when there wasn't, uh, we went down to uh, Washington, D.C., where he died to see the site, and a, and a policeman took us around very sweetly. And he just, you could tell that it really bothered him that there was nothing, that this couldn't have happened, it shouldn't have happened. It was raining and I had the car hydroplaned or whatever, but but I know people suffer so much over, you know, what happened and all that kind of thing. Why does it take so long? Well, first of all, the, the testing. When, when what I find is in laboratories, the priority is given to the living. And many times the tests for those who've passed on, and, and it makes sense, it, or perhaps not given the same emergent or, or top priority. But sometimes the testing is complex, and you see our expectations have shifted. We are requiring much more thorough death, death investigations now. But the key thing here is to remember is that families need to know what happened because if they don't know, they don't heal. It's just like festering in a wound. I've actually had people come back five and ten years later and say, I, I really need to know what happened so that I can, I can put it to bed, I can, I can bury it and leave it there. And that seems to be one of the qualities of our grief. You see, I think we are meant to heal, and I think we're meant to grieve. I don't think we're meant to grieve for long. Mm-hmm. And, and so what if it has been um, three years and I didn't want to know and now I do? What do I do? Can I call the coroner or what, what yes. happens? Yes, you can call. You can call. You can call and talk with them. And here's what I would recommend. I would call and ask if you could make an appointment to see either the pathologist who did the examination or one of their chief investigators who is available and to just say, you know, I'm not here about a lawsuit. I just need to know what happened. Um, you might even be able to see the, you know, the, the autopsy report and some of the other information. It seems to be very healing. I would say this. Do not expect to see the photographs. Not something. Uh, the autopsy photographs are not something that families usually want to see. But seeing photos, like you went to the place where the accident occurred, it just depends on what people find comforting. Everybody's got to follow their own heart on this. We actually we have got the autopsy reports, the accident report. We actually saw the photographs. Okay. And you know, I, I wouldn't say it's for everyone, but I I would say this. Yeah. Search your own heart about this, not your spouses or or your friends. You need to do what you need to do because one of the things that I find sometimes is there too, there's too much protection of women. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think sometimes it's because the husbands don't want to see their wives cry or the pain or whatever. Or not even just the husbands. I'm thinking of 9-11, and I've been working with you know 9-11 families for the last seven years. Oh. At some of the funerals, 
the widows were protected by the firemen because, you know, from seeing things and being exposed to things and identifying remains, et cetera, and it wasn't until later on down the road where they wished they had kind of been a little more involved with some of that. Mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll tell you just a brief story. Um, uh, a young woman was killed uh, by a car on her way home to northern Minnesota to celebrate Thanksgiving with her family. And um, she was just her first, you know, a couple of months in college. And her mother came down to the hospital where I worked, and she said, I have to see her. And I said, oh, ma'am, I, you know, I, of course you can see her, but you know that there's some blood on her face, there's some injuries. And she looked me square in the eye and said, and don't you think there was blood on her face when she was born? Mm-hmm. She said, I have been her mother. And I said, you look, go ahead, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Well, you know. Yeah, and also, but if you didn't see the body at the time, and, you know, it's okay. One of the things that we found in research is that if you didn't see the body, it can early on impact your grief a bit because you can be in denial. But down the road, it doesn't look like it matters. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh so, you know, if you didn't, you know, uh, you have to forgive the people who stopped you from doing it that you feel. Some people tell me, oh, my uh, brother wouldn't let me see the body or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. Or, or if children's parents didn't let them see their siblings, that happens, or didn't let them attend funerals or whatever. We have to figure out how to resolve those kinds of things, wouldn't you say, Janice? Absolutely we have to. We have to let families know that from the beginning, we all have to make our own choices. We have to go with what's in our own hearts, and we have to be honest about it. And I think, you, as you mentioned, everybody is so well-intended and wanting to shield us. But you know what? The most important thing is our grief honors our love, and, and it's our love, and we have to do what's right for us. And sometimes we don't even know what the right thing is, but you know, we have enough knowledgeable people around us and kind people around us that will help us get through it. I think that's sometimes what we have to do when these tragic and sudden things happen to us is that we have to attempt to rely on our friends and well-meaning people to help us try to do the right thing. I loved what you said about forgiving them if, if later we find it was the wrong choice. Well, and also maybe we can do rituals later. Um, that if we feel like we wish we had been more involved in, in, at some point, we can do a ritual to have some kind of closure around that. I don't know. Is that when you might recommend that at Christmas time that, that you set a place for the, the loved one who's gone? Does some families find that helpful? Absolutely. We did that, actually. And mm-hmm. some people like a picture. We have an ornament of Scots that we hang on the tree every year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so those little rituals... Um, that you have. We, uh, we also always recommend to people if they're going out to a Christmas party or something where they think that uh, nobody's going to mention their child or their spouse or whatever, they could do a couple of things. One, they could have their own little ritual before they leave. Mm-hmm. And the other thing would be that if, if they feel like it's a family event and they would like the spouse's name brought up to pick an advocate that will be at the party to do it. Oh. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing that other family members have told me, as, as they have come back and talked to me later, they have said, you know, when they've had these, these dreams and visions, that they have been stro- so strongly reassured that their loved one is fine. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's that's important because I'm thinking about, like you said, it's in the knowing that's important because we want to know, especially when we've had traumatic loss, which, you know, my brother died in a, a fiery collision. So what we really want to know is that our the people that we love are at peace. Yes, and they are fine. And that seems to be the message that comes over and over and over again. And even from some of these cardiac arrest survivors, I mm-hmm. spoke with a wonderful man named Patrick Emmett from uh, Kansas who had a cardiac arrest on an airplane flying into the Twin Cities here. And he was resuscitated. And he, he I was speaking at a conference and talked about my books, and he came up afterwards and he said, How did you know, Doc? You got it right. Mm-hmm. And I said, What? He says, I found myself in such a place of extraordinary, extreme happiness and joy, and I knew that all was well, and I knew that my loved ones would be fine there on earth and that we would see one another again so soon. You know, um, when we hear that and when we know it, it changes everything. There is there's a comfort. There's relief. And I think relief is the thing we're all after. Relief mm-hmm. is the medicine that the whole world waits for. And if we can know that our loved ones are fine, we'll get on just fine ourselves. Right, and and, and the end of that suffering, that yes. early suffering that yes. that we experience. Yes. Well, do you have any thoughts during the holidays for these families that are out there that are um, struggling with this experience of losing a loved one and and what's you know been your experience with with families around holidays here here's what my experience is first of all you got to acknowledge it if you're still grieving you need to let the people know that you're still sad and it's still tough and i love your ideas of rituals but i would also encourage them because so many will say to me oh doc those stories are great how come i haven't had one and i say you know i don't know but if i did I would say that our loved ones stop at nothing to let us know they're just fine. And all you have to do is ask and then quiet down. Perhaps when when we're praying, it's, it's us talking to God, and when we quiet down, maybe it's God talking to us. And maybe that's when our loved ones will dance into our dreams in the most profound way possible. It's important for us to realize that the world has order, that the universe is an orderly place, that all is well, that we came here and we, we are more than our bodies. We are this incredible, incredible immortal energy and that we're here for a while to grow, to evolve, to become, and then we simply gently leave. What I have heard said time and again is this, enjoy your life, have fun, be the best you can be. Honor yourself. Honor your love. And then relax. Because everything you want is downstream. And I'm fine. I'm waiting here for you. I'll be here for you when you close your eyes. Uh, Well, Janice, thank you. That's such a wonderful thought. And I think just noticing is so important. And and just notice the small things. Yes. It, they're not, you know, they don't have to be big things. But if you notice, I think things happen pretty miraculously 